And if you have your Bibles with you, I will be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 14 this morning. In fact, uh, to be more specific, uh, 1 Samuel 14 uh, verses 24 to 46. Uh, that's what we're going to be covering for our passage today. And God's word says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was, a, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with an oath. So he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Joshua said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies and they found that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. And the people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to be here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to, the, to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what see, do." Do what seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? Is this guilt in me or in Jonathan, my son? O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast a lot between me and my son, Jonathan, and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done, 
And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me, and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so a lot to chew on this morning. And uh, before we get into our passage, I want to back up just a couple of chapters, actually one, one chapter, to give you a review as to where we've been and where we're at now with this passage. I want to remind you that in 1 Samuel chapter 13, there is this battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. The, this battle started because uh, Jonathan went over to the, one of the garrisons of the Philistines and defeated them. And then Saul basically bragged about it throughout the nation. And uh, the Philistines caught wind of this, and Scripture says that, they, uh, that the Israelites became a stench to the Philistines. They, they, they hated them, and they wanted to destroy them. And uh, you can see by their actions of how much they hated the Israelites. The Israelites, initially, they had 3,000 fighting men. This was an army that Saul thought was a vast army, and uh, he was pretty proud of it. But it was, in, it was no match for the army of the Philistines. If you look at verse 5 of chapter 13, it says that when the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, they had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude against 3,000 men. Uh, so also in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see that Israel panics when they see the size of the Philistine army. And not only do they panic, that includes the soldiers, the 3,000 soldiers, and also their king, David. They all ran. Scripture says that they hid, hid themselves wherever they could. Caves, holes, rocks, tombs, cisterns, they just all ran and, and hid, uh, hoping that the moment would pass them by. Uh, scripture also tells us in chapter 13 that some retreated all the way back past the Jordan, past the Jordan River. If you will remember, that Jordan River was the boundary between the promised land and then the land that they were exiled to. So they crossed the Jordan after everything they had been through. They crossed the Jordan. Uh, they were in the promised land. Now they're being threatened by a great enemy, and some of them retreat past that boundary as if they were wanting to go back to Egypt, so to speak, right? Go back to where they were. And that's how panicked the nation of Israel was. Uh, their army of 3,000 men dwindled down to 600 fighting men. That's how much deserters they had. And by the way, chapter 13 also tells us that uh, the Philistines made it to where the Israelites didn't have any weapons. They took all the blacksmiths out of the cities around them, and uh, they didn't have anyone to form them any weapons, so they were fighting with farm tools. So that's, that's their situation there in 1 Samuel 13. So it looks like a crazy, desperate situation, but, but God, right? We always have to consider that. And I want us to consider that even in our own lives. There are times in our lives where we feel like we, there is no hope. Um, that is the way we are whenever we 
first realize that we are sinners and we serve a holy God. Uh, there is no hope, but then we remember Jesus. Then we remember the Lord, and that changes things for us. So things do change in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, we see that God moved in the hearts of Jonathan and his armor bearer. That's the way chapter 14 starts. So uh, out of these 600 men who are hiding, God uses two of these men to change things. And uh, that's why it is true that God can save with many or with few. Um, and then as God uses Jonathan and the armor bearer, uh, they go into to attack a garrison of the Philistines, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. As I shared with you last week, uh, this garrison was about 20, 20 uh, men deep. And uh, this is only a pebble to the mountain that they had to, they had to conquer. So they had no idea how things were going to work out after they defeated the, the garrison of the 20. They just know that God compelled them in their hearts to do so. But the amazing thing there is that God took over. We see that in uh, 1 Samuel 14, and that's what we talked about last week. He took over and he caused a great confusion to come over the camp of the Philistines. This countless army uh, became so afraid that they began to kill each other. They turned their swords on one another. Part of their fear came from all the ruckus, but also the Lord began to make the earthquake. And they were just terrorized by everything that was going on. They were terrified. And again, they started to attack one another in confusion. Only something that, 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 that only the Lord can do. So then in uh, the first half of Samuel chapter 14, we see that Israel eventually mustered enough courage to follow Jonathan's lead instead of Saul's lead. Uh, most of the nation, or at least the fighting men, were hiding in, cave, in the cave with Saul. But when they saw Jonathan attack and they saw the Lord working, they all started to basically attack the Philistines. Even those who had, who had marched on past the Jordan River began, began to come back. And they all pursued the Philistines and then they began to basically make them retreat. And that's where we ended last week. So when we ended, everything was going well. In fact, verse 23 of chapter 14, which is the verse before um, the verse that we started today, it says that the Lord saved Israel that day. It, it talks about how the Lord worked his salvation for Israel against the Philistine army. So everything was going well until Saul made another foolish, a foolish decision that would negatively and greatly affect the nation of Israel. And that's what we are, we are going to study today. I want us to look at what this decision was and how it affected the people of Israel. Now, as we look at it, one thing I want us to do is I want us uh, to consider what is being done here, the example that is being laid out for us, so that we can gain wisdom, right? We can gain wisdom through the truth of God's word. And out of this wisdom, we can realize either the blessing or the sin that uh, it exposes in our lives. And then once we realize that, that God will help us to repent or believe. So what was that foolish decision? Well, it was a rash vow or a rash oath that um, Saul had made that, that is really wreaking havoc within the nation of Israel. And uh, I want to look at this rash vow and the consequences of it. Um, our passage starts off with describing the difficulty of battle that the Israelites were having. 
If you look at verse 24, it says that the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day. And basically it's describing how difficult it was for them to fight against this Philistine army. Uh, again, they are at about 600 people and they're fighting an army that is basically, they, they cannot count how many people they're fighting against. And there's something important for us to consider here because we know that the Lord had worked a great mighty miracle in, uh, in routing the, the Philistine army. But at the same time, uh, we know that the Israelites had to engage them in battle. They had to be involved. So although the Lord was fighting for them, the men still had to fight themselves. It was not as if they were just standing by and then the spirit of the Lord was just massacring all these people. They were fighting themselves and they were greatly outnumbered. The fight was long and the fight was hard and they were completely exhausted already. And then their king decides to lay an oath on the people. Now, this oath comes from basically Saul's anger towards the Philistines. He is he is infuriated with them because why? Well, they've attacked them in a way that they wanted to get rid of them. He, they wanted to get rid of the Israelites. And he makes this rash oath concerning the Philistines. And when I say uh, a rash oath, when I speak of rashness, I, I want you to consider that uh, rashness is making a decision without really taking the time to consider all that it would entail in keeping it, right? Or making a decision without really thinking through it, especially from a biblical standpoint. That's what we're going to focus on today, the, the rashness of Saul's decision. Not the oath per se, but, but really the rashness behind it. Uh, but when it comes to his anger towards the Philistines, we see in verse 24, um, this is what he says, uh, chapter 14, verse 24. He says that, uh, the Bible says that Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So that is, that is the oath that, that Saul lays on the nation of Israel, basically uh, saying that no one is allowed to eat anything until it is evening, and by evening I expect to be uh, to have the uh, Philistines fully defeated. Uh, we're going to have victory by evening, so no one who is fighting, no one touch any, anything, no one have anything to eat, and uh, God's going to give them over to us. Now, when we speak of an oath, and especially this one, this oath was a promise made to God. That we're going to conquer your enemies, um, and if, if you will help us, in return, we will not eat anything. We will not eat anything until that is done. So an oath is a promise made to God or to man, but here it is to God, backed by a negative consequence for the requester. And why? To gain God's favor. Now, our confession actually has a section on making oaths, and this is what it says. Whoever takes an oath authorized by the word of God should consider with due gravity the seriousness of such a weighty act, and to affirm nothing in it except what one knows to be true. For except, uh, excuse me, for the Lord is provoked by ill-advised, false, and empty oaths, and because of them this land mourns. Now, I, I bring that definition up from the confession so that we can realize the seriousness of all this. Um, it's easy for us to not think about it and have a loose tongue and just 
promise something in the name of the Lord or say something to the Lord or guarantee something to the Lord and, and uh, really not think about what we are doing. And uh, the, the confession as well as the Bible tells us that when we speak to the Lord in that way, it is a weighty act. It is something that we must really consider before we speak because we are not speaking to man. It is not the creation speaking to the creation, but rather the creation speaking to the creator. But with Saul, we see that his bloodthirsty vengeance of the Philistines and also the puffing up of his own pride caused him to make an oath without considering what it would do to himself or what it would do to his nation. And I think we need to stop there and just think about this. We have the advantage of, of, of using Saul as an example for ourselves. And, and I, I've told you a couple of times already, um, we may want to relate ourselves to like Jonathan as a hero, but a lot of times if we are honest with ourselves, we're like Saul. We make mistakes, and we make some of the mistakes that Saul makes. And here, I think that we can all understand how easy it is, how easy it is for us to be rash in our decisions, to think or to not think about something in a biblical way, just to do what comes first or do what comes to mind. Um, we've, we have all made rash decisions because we lack patience, we lack wisdom, or we lack restraints in different situations. We just want to, either we, we, we want quick results or we just focus on what we want and we don't care what it takes uh, in order to get that. How do we do that? Well we jump to conclusions about ourselves. Have you ever done something and you're just fed up with yourself and you're like, that's it, I'm a failure. I'm just, I'm just an outright failure. I am completely no good. There's no way God could ever use me. That's a rash decision. That's a rash judgment about yourself. We're not, we're not thinking biblically because although we are sinners and although we are Worthless in a sense that compared to God, we, all, we have sin in us. God is completely holy. We have sin in us. God doesn't need us. We need him. All that is true, but we forget that our master, our master compels us, loves us, encourages us, and tells us that we will not fail because he is in us. So those are the things that we have to remember. We have to remember that Jesus lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are vessels of the Holy Spirit. So though we are sinners, we have to bring that back to the center and realize we are sinners, but we serve a gracious and merciful God who is faithful to us. And the work that he began in us, he is going to complete it in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's one example, but we not only jump to conclusions about ourselves, we also jump to conclusions about others very quickly. It, it doesn't take us very long. In uh, Sunday school today, Pastor Laramie talked about Romans 14 and how that was a family issue. This was being brought up within the church. How many times do we wrongly judge people within the family of God because we feel like we are wronged? It doesn't take long. We come to the conclusion about others very, very quickly. And God tells us not to, that we should be slow to judge. But we should be quick for forgiveness. Right. Because we are the body of Christ. We need to take care of one another. 
Also, and I think this is the worst one of all, how many times do we jump to conclusions about God? Something happens in our lives and we say, that's not fair. Something happens to us and we think God cannot take care of us. He's incapable in some way, somehow. All of us have made that kind of judgment before. And that is not true. It's a rash judgment. We're not thinking clearly. We are being controlled by our emotions. That's a really, really dangerous place for us to be. See, we jump to action without considering the consequence. We decide without measuring the cost. Many times we are quick with our tongues and we say something before we actually think, think it through. We, we all do that. Bible says in James chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's extremely difficult. And we're all humbled by our tongue every single day. See, I bring up these examples so that you can realize with me that rash decisions aren't just a problem with certain Christians. They're a problem for all Christians. When we think with our heart and we're led by our heart and not God's word, we're in danger of sinning against God. See, as a result of Saul's rash oath, the first thing that we see that it causes, um, it, it starts to cause sin within the nation of Israel. Look at verses 27 and 28. It first affects Jonathan. It says here that Jonathan had not heard his father's charge to the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and he dipped it in the honeycomb and put it and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. So Jonathan had no idea that this oath was made. There wasn't proper communication. And Jonathan ate the honey from the honeycomb. And what's, what's odd here is that it was a good result. His eyes became bright. He was malnourished. He needed food. He needed energy. As soon as he ate, his eyes became bright. He had, he had gotten that surge of energy. And even though it was a good result and it was needed, it was still a sin against God. Why? Verse 28 tells us, Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, an oath saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. They were already hard-pressed, and now they're faint because they are not getting the nutrition they need um, in battle. Once Jonathan hears of the oath and his, uh, that his father had made, he realizes the trouble that his father has brought upon the, the people. And if you've been here and you've been seeing, you know, walking through the book with us, you realize this is not Jonathan's first time realizing his dad is lacking. Because at the very beginning of chapter 14, Jonathan and the armor bearer, they sneak out of the cave that everybody's in and they sneak out without telling his father. He doesn't even want to include his father. He's like, my father got us into this situation, and I don't want to let him know because there's no telling what he would make me do. So he's already seen uh, what his father lacks, and uh, he saw it at the beginning of chapter 14, and now we're seeing it towards the middle of chapter 14. 
Now, Jonathan sees that the defeat among the Philistines, that it really, even though it was a great thing, it could have been better. They could have destroyed the Philistine army. Instead, it is this army, it is this nation, the nation of the Philistines, that would eventually come back and would kill Saul and Jonathan. They would both perish at the hands of the Philistines. This was their chance to completely wipe them out. But because of Saul's oath, it didn't happen. Now, secondly, we see that after evening came, so the oath is fulfilled. Uh, they fight until evening, and now it's time to eat. And verse 32 is a very disturbing passage because it says that the people were so hungry that they began to eat raw animal or raw meat, basically. They, they, they got the, the, the sheep, the oxen, and calves, and it says that they pounced on them like an animal pounces on another animal to kill it. They pounced on it, and then they basically killed it where it lay, and then they began to eat. It says that they ate with the blood in it. it means they were eating the raw meat. That's how hungry they were when the oath was finally over. Now, for me, as I look at that passage, I think about the ripple effects of our sin and how it can reach out and affect so many other people. This was Saul's oath. He made this oath, but at the same time, you see how it is affecting not only him, not only Jonathan, but it goes out to the people. Now, in response, Saul offers sacrifices for the people's sin of eating meat. Notice he tells them, you've dealt treacherously with the Lord. It's nothing about him. He's like, I can't believe what you are doing. You guys are sinning against the Lord. Not seeing that he is the one who is their leader. He is the one who made this rash vow our rash oath, and now because of that, they are sinning against the Lord. So when he comes, uh, we see Saul offer sacrifices for the people, and then he asks this question of the Lord. He says, hey, Lord, if we go and attack the Philistines right now, will you give them to us over, you know, will you give them over to us? Will we finally be able to defeat them? And we see in verse 37 that the Lord does not answer him. The Lord is silent. So when the Lord does not answer him, Saul's initial response was that someone else had sinned against the Lord. Look at verses 38 and 39. Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. So this is Saul. The Lord's not answering. He says, oh, there must be a sin within the camp. He says, come here, everybody. I want you to listen to me. There is a sin within this camp. We're going to find out who it is. And it doesn't matter who it is. Even if it's my son, Jonathan, if it is you who has committed this sin, you will surely die. And then everybody is completely silent. And they don't really want, I mean, there was no sin for them to confess except for in his son, Jonathan. Now, now, to find fault, Saul puts himself and Jonathan against the people of Israel. The lot falls on Jonathan because he was the one who had eaten the honey before evening of that day. Now, here are some, here's a side point to consider. This relationship between uh, Saul and his, and his son, Jonathan, sadly, Jonathan would be grouped with his dad until the very end. 
Jonathan, from all accounts, was a, a bold man. He was a, a wonderful soldier, a man after God's own heart, so to speak. Uh, he was a faithful, uh, a faithful man to both his king and his God. But he was paired with his dad, and eventually he would perish with his dad. He would perish with him because of Saul's foolish decisions. Now, that speaks to the importance of the company that we keep or who we follow. If we are yoking ourselves with someone who is tempting us or not helping us in our Christian growth, I, I think we need to look at that relationship. It's very important that we do. It's one thing to maintain that relationship to witness the gospel to that person, but it's entirely another thing to maintain that relationship if it is leading you to sin against the Lord. It's better that you back off or break that relationship and cling to the Lord. Uh, anyway, a side note, I, I really thought about that this week and, and uh, it, it made me pray about that and really think about my relationships uh, with the people that I have. Now, back to this passage, Jonathan confesses his sin, and basically he accepts his lot. And, and like I said, Jonathan, for all accounts, was a, a good man. Uh, look at verse 43. Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey uh, with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. I, I, no, no problem. I'm the one who sinned. I will die. But I want you to notice the question that Saul asked Jonathan, tell me what you have done. For those of you following along, this was, this was a question posed to Saul by Samuel, right? Samuel said, what have you done? Saul didn't see any issue with what he, he had done. He didn't confess any sin to Samuel whenever that happened. But notice, notice that when Saul asked Jonathan, what have you done? He confessed his sin. He, he wasn't like his father. He saw his sin, even though... Uh, you could actually say his sin wasn't his fault, but he still sinned against the Lord. His father didn't tell him. First, his father made a, a bad oath, and then his, his father didn't tell him about the oath. But he said, you know what? I'm guilty. I'm guilty here. I'm, I'm here to die. Thankfully, the people come to Jonathan's defense and spare his life. But unfortunately, this passage ends without Saul realizing the damage his, his uh, rash oath has caused upon the people. So what, uh, what can we learn from this? Well, we must be careful with rashness of speech and rashness of deed. I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. Not specifically making oaths, because that's not something that's common in our day, but something that is very common is how we talk to people and how we act or respond to people um, in, in a physical way. See, one thing that is prevalent with foolishness is rashness. And I, I want to remind you, when I say foolishness, I'm not speaking about someone's IQ. I'm speaking about someone's ungodliness. Because that's the way the Bible describes or defines foolishness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So foolishness from a biblical standpoint is someone who does not believe in God, someone who lives in ungodliness, who makes ungodly decisions. When you see foolishness, you will see rashness. They go hand in hand. To do something 
based purely upon your intuition, your emotion, without considering what the Lord has said is both foolish and reckless. This is especially true when we are angered or we, when we are scared. When we are angry and we are scared, for us, a lot of times, it's, it's, it's a fight or flight. Is that right? I think that's how you say it, fight or flight. Uh, it, but it's, it's just this response to survive when we're angry or scared. And if someone angers us enough or someone scares us enough, there's no telling what we'll do. Consider Saul's rashness in our passage today. There was no reason other than his own selfishness and his own vengeance that drove him to make this oath. And this oath prevented his people from eating. Look at verse 24. This is the oath he made. Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening. Now, now look very closely. And I am avenged on my enemies. My question is, where is the concern for the Lord? It's all about him, right? He's so angry with the Philistine army. He says, you know what? We're going to make this, we're going to make this oath. We're going to destroy these people. And the reason why we're going to do it is for me. We're, I'm not going to allow anyone to eat until I am avenged. Until my enemies are defeated. See, Saul's rash decision to make a foolish oath led to suffering and sin for the nation of Israel. Look at the devastation it caused. Number one, they suffered physically. They fought long and hard, but they were not allowed to eat. Can you imagine fighting that long and that hard and not having anything to eat? I mean, we're Baptists, 12 o'clock, our, our, our stomachs are already grumbling, right? I mean, it's five minutes till right now. Number two, they suffered mentally. They suffered emotionally. Why? Well, they were forced to endure a, uh, the process of determining who was at fault for the Lord's silence to them. Think about that. This was a trial. They just fought. They just fought. They are tired. And then all of a sudden, the king calls them up and basically says, okay, now we're going to have, hey, guys, good game, good fight. And now we're going to have a trial to find out who's at fault uh, for the sin of the nation. You're just like, you got to be kidding me. I, I can't imagine what they were going through mentally and emotionally being brought to Saul to determine who was at fault. And then they were forced to endure Jonathan's potential death sentence. You can see how the people loved Jonathan. They came to his aid. They rescued him. They're like, no, Saul, you're not going to kill your son. He's the one who saved us today. The Lord used him. So, but still, even to get to that point, they had to endure this potential death sentence. And, and to save them, imagine the mental and emotional anguish that went with that. Also, as we already alluded to, it prevented a greater victory over the Philistines. They, the Israelites were exhausted. They were starving. They were not able to defeat the Philistines as easy as they should have been. But also, think of how many of them died because of that. We don't think about that. They're fighting. They're, they're, they're starving. What does that lead to? Being very weak. How many of them died to the, to the sword because they could not defend themselves or they could not fight the person in front of them? 
Also, it caused Jonathan to sin against the Lord. Jonathan, not knowing that his father had made such a foolish oath, broke the oath and thus sinned against both his father and the Lord. See, rashness can be detrimental to our Christian walk. And, and this is why. And I think we, if we understand this point, then we'll understand why we should not make rash decisions. And remember, I want to define that term again. Rash, rashness is, out, is, is, is making a decision without considering what the Lord has said. Right? So I, I, it's not just about how quickly you make a decision, because it's, it's possible to make a quick, godly decision, especially if you have the word of the Lord in you. Right? But when we make a decision not based on the word of the Lord or what God has said, rashness can be detrimental to our Christian walk because it leaves us susceptible to the remnant evil that lives in our hearts. That's why, that's why it's so dangerous. When we do not consider what the Lord says, what are we being led by? We're, le we're being led by our hearts. See, we're either led by the spirit or by the flesh. And when we speak about rashness, it caters to the flesh. You don't, you don't know what to expect. You're capable of doing anything. Good, bad, or horrible. You just don't know. It, it reminds me of um, back when I was in college, we had a group of guys that worked together. And you know, young men working together always, I mean, we're doing work, but at the same time, we're playing games. And a lot of times we would scare each other. In the back of the warehouse, we'd find ways to scare each other. We'd get big boxes. We'd hide in boxes. Someone comes to pick up a box with a dolly. We'd jump out and basically, you know, scare each other that way. But we were very careful about who we scared, right? Just because some guys, you know, either some guys are going to have a heart attack or some guys are going to get really, really mad. Well, there is this one individual that everybody was kind of like, ah, I don't know if we're going to scare him or not just because you never know what he's going to do. And, uh, and, and, and so this individual's name was Juan. And Juan was, again, big, strong guy. And, and, and if, if you uh, got him mad, uh, you, you had to watch out, right? So the, everybody was very careful with him. Well, one day, Juan is just busy in the back of the warehouse. We are just slammed. There's a lot of people, a lot of customers. So he's actually getting uh, 12 packs of Cokes and he's loaded them on a pallet as fast as he can. And you know how the 12 packs of Cokes, they actually come in a, in, a, in a, like a cardboard container where there's two of them together. So he's bending down and he's throwing them down and he's just, he's just working. You can see sweat on his back. You can see sweat on his forehead. I mean, it's just everywhere, right? And so someone decides that, that we're going to scare Juan. All right, so we pick a point person, which I, I was not the point person. I kind of stood back because I, I knew Juan very well. We pick the point person, person sneaks up behind Juan, and we kind of sit back and we, we watch. And we're expecting the worst. We're expecting the worst. And the guy gets right behind Juan, and he yells from the top of his lungs. We're in the warehouse, and he yells, Juan, as loud as he can. Uh, we're thinking, man, Juan's going to kill this person. Juan, what he does he yells in this highest, the highest pitch you can yell. He yells, he goes, ah! He, the, 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 the cokes that he has in his hand, they go through the air. 
and he takes off running. And we're like, wow, I did not expect that. No way that I expect that. Now, as soon as Juan found out about what was going on, then you had to, then we all ran away. But that initial response, that initial decision was not something that we expected. That happens to us all the time. We think that we know how we're going to react to something. But if we don't have God's word in mind and in our hearts, we're susceptible to do anything. You can say, hey, I would never do that. No, you could. You're capable of it because you, you have sin in your heart. And if you're not being led by God's word, then you're being led by the flesh. That sin is driving you. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be driven by God's word. See, many times our initial plan or our response, it's not godly. I, I, I struggle with that all the time, especially to unfavorable circumstances. We all have uh, anger issues. Even if we're quiet and we hardly say anything to anybody, in our hearts, we're saying something to somebody. It, it doesn't matter. We all have anger issues. So our initial response is not godly most of the time. So here's my question to you. How, has your, how have your rash decisions harmed you? How have they harmed your loved ones? What sin have they caused you to fall into? I think that's something for us to consider and think like, hey, do I make decisions just like on a whim without considering the word of God? I just, I just feel like this is my intuition, this is my heart, and, and I want to do this. If, if that is you, you seriously need to repent from that. We need to focus on what God has said. God's word is there to lead our lives. It is the authority over our lives. So we need to consider what he says in every situation. See, the Bible points out that we are involved in a daily struggle. We either walk according to the spirit or we walk according to the flesh. This is what Galatians 5 says. It says, but if uh, it says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now that was Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 uh, that I was reading from. So we have this, this uh, daily struggle to walk according to the spirit or the flesh. Your natural reflex, so to speak, is from the flesh. Now, Again, I do not, I'm not pointing to the fact that you, are, uh, that you should never make a quick decision. To have good reflexes, it's, it's, it's good in some things. Uh, for instance, like in sports, I tell my kids, you don't want to think too much in sports. You, you, you want to do the studying up front, you want to get your mechanics down, and you basically want to react. You don't want to sit there and think, okay, when I shoot a basketball, I'm supposed to have this this hand on this side of the ball, I'm supposed to have this hand right here, and then I, by that time, someone's going to come and steal the ball from you, right? You're sitting there trying to think. Or when you're batting, you know, the correct stance, my feet are apart, by that time, the ball's going to whiz right by you. So you practice, 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 and you get those mechanics down, and it becomes part of just what you do every single time. You don't have to think about that. Driving, that's another area where it's good to have good reflexes. 
good responses, right? You, you don't sit there and think about everything you do when you're driving, especially when something happens to you right away. You have to respond. So listen, I'm not saying that in everything you have to consider what the Lord is telling you. Like if you're about to shoot this free throw, you don't have to sit there and pray before you shoot the free throw. But I'm speaking about in things that really matter, in things like guiding your family, in things of being a part of your church, things like what am I about to purchase? How is this going to affect my family? How is this going to affect my church? Friendships that you make, like all these different things, all these different things, they must be aligned with the word of God. See, our natural instinct is from the flesh, but proper and godly responses come to us through prayer and meditation. That's where God aligns your will with his. See, our natural fleshly response leads us to sin against God. I want to go back to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20, uh, through 21. This is, what's hap- this is what happens when we are led by the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Now, I want you to pay attention to this list to see if these things are part of your life. And if they are, you have an issue with rash decisions. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why would they not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, because... They're fools from a, biblical, from a biblical perspective. People who continually do these things in their hearts, they say, there is no God. I'm my own God. I do what I want to do. And what Paul's telling the Galatians here is if you're regularly taking a part of these things, if these things are leading you, then you are basically saying, God, you're not my God. I, I do what, what's right in my own eyes. And that's why he boldly says, They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when we consider what the will of God is through prayer and meditation, as I said before, our wills will be aligned with his will. Now look at the product of that. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I, don't, I think that's extremely helpful. What are we going to be led by? Are we going to be led by the spirit or the flesh? We decide that. We truly decide that. It's very easy to be led by the flesh. Someone makes you angry. You just want to respond the way you want to respond. And that's easy. It's harder to restrain yourself. See, we must desire to be like Christ. If we're, I, I need to bring this back to Christ and then we're done. When we contemplated, or when he contemplated his crucifixion, this is what Christ prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And that was his prayer. He meant it. God, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Make a way where I, I don't have to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, for me, that's the perfect example. In anything that we do, we need to ask God for help. And we need to realize that it's not our will that's important, but it's God's will that will be done. And everything that we do, let us consider what the will of God is over and above what we initially feel in our hearts to do. Before you do anything, let us be still and know that he is God. Let's pray.